and welcome to the latest episode of Design Truth. My name is Brad Harper and um, usually me and my design mate Drew catch up with different people within the world of industrial design but people that listen to Design Truth will know that when we go to Australia that Drew gets subbed out for my old boss Paul mainly just because Drew's got small children. Um, but uh, today we're joined by Brandon Jean, the CEO of Good Design Australia. Really interesting chat about design awards so for those that have... Uh, got an opinion perhaps on design awards rightly or wrongly be good to to get your kind of view on it um as always if you half enjoy the podcast then just leave a five star review on apple podcasts or whatever you do on spotify i don't even know um but if you half enjoy it then just let a friend of yours know that'd be greatly appreciated and uh let's just jump straight in You think with road mic, road mics are Australian based. You think that the Australians would have had that sussed, but uh, we've definitely had some <laughs> occasions where the audio hasn't been um, too clever. But um, I just like to just welcome you onto the to, onto the podcast, Brennan. Thanks for spending, and obviously Paul as well. Thanks for spending your evenings to to come with us. And um, I put something up on my LinkedIn a couple of days ago to say you was coming on, and I had a text message come through from a, from a client to say um, it's a bit of a scalp to get you on so um that's a very positive re-endorsement i can kind of um give for you there so welcome as we briefly just touched upon there there might be those in the uk quite a lot of our listenership is in the uk and they might not be familiar with with who you are and what you're involved in um so it'd be great if you could just give a 30 second kind of rundown of who you are what you're involved in sounds like you're involved in quite a lot of stuff so i'm not sure if you could do it in 30 seconds but it'd be great just to give you the, the rundown of um who you are and what's brought you to, to to design truth sure so um i'm i'm my background is an industrial designer i um I graduated oh, 30 odd years ago um and uh i started off actually studying mechanical engineering mm-hmm. didn't quite like that and uh, switched over to industrial design and sort of have never looked back um I, uh, I also did a PhD in uh, environmental design. Uh, it's a, an area I'm, I'm super passionate about as well and uh, have been running the, the Good Design Awards here in Australia really for the last 25 years. So um, that's sort of given me, I, I guess, a, a broad outlook on what's going on here in Australia but also globally as well through the World Design Organisation being part of that uh, that entity, which originally was set up as the International Council of Societies of Industrial Design, which is the sort of global body for industrial design uh, based in Montreal. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah good stuff. You did a lot better than than the, than some, so well done on that. But um, there's a lot to go through over the next hour, particularly with some of the different kind of areas you're involved in. But um, I think it might be best to start with non-design stuff because I was – doing a little bit of research today and I catch up with Paul quite regularly about Australia and we often talk about that, t- you know, the time where I came over Paul when it was a bit of a drinking tour around the, around, around the coast and there's some good, some kind of good memories there. But I was reading that, um, it's actually on the BBC today and it was something along the lines of the only thing Australian millennials want at the minute is a vaccine. And that was the, that was the kind of the headline Briefly give us a, a rundown of what life is like in Australia at the minute, because I believe you've just, or, or Melbourne in particular, it's just gone into another lockdown, although it's yeah. really about five cases or something. But, you know, it must be a frustrating kind of process that you're all involved in at the minute. Look, look it is. And, um, I mean, I'm in Sydney and life is pretty much back to normal here. You know, we um, 
um, I think we're we're incredibly blessed um, to to have come out of this this thing in the way that we have. Um, we're, we're talking about you know a handful of num of, of, of cases here and there that, that sort of pop up and. Uh, the one thing I think that Australians are pretty good at is just following orders, you know, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, when we're told to isolate, we isolate. When we're told to wear masks, we, you know, we, we wear a mask. And we, um, you know, last year was pretty tough on everybody, but I think we've we've managed to, to come out of it pretty well. Um, and um, whether that's through design or whether that's through um, an effective government or whether that's just pure luck, uh, I'm, I'm still not quite sure, but... Um, you know, I think if there's one place in the world I'd want to be right now, it's it's right here, um, mm. and uh, we we seem to be navigating it quite well. That's you know that's notwithstanding the fact that, as you would have said, you know, seen today in the news, uh, Melbourne's gone into another lockdown. But that's you know that's just the way we've we've managed to 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 navigate our way through this pandemic. I think because um, of the way Australia is situated, you know, we we, we have our various states and we have various um, uh, state governments that are in control of those states so we can quickly kind of go right there's a you know there's a hot spot here let's let's instigate a lockdown let's manage it bring things back to normal before things get completely out of control and mm. um, and, and as I said before I think people are pretty diligent where it comes to okay look we, we're all in this together we've got to just you know batten the hatches and, and get through it Mm. I'm pretty optimistic that you know Melbourne will 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 won't go into too much of a longer lockdown, but I can't predict the future. Um, <laughs> they're the one state that just seems to cop it. You know, they've um, all through last year as well. They they went through a pretty heavy period of of lockdown. Um, but um, you know, you walk you walk down the street in Sydney CBD. It's it's as if nothing's happened. It's 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 generally back to normal, um, and uh, the CBD is buzzing. I read today that our economy is three percent up uh, from where it was, you know, pre-COVID. So we're one of the few countries in the developed world that's actually done better, <laughs> yeah. which I think is just phenomenal. Um, but that's again, it's there's a lot of businesses that are that are going to get slammed. Uh, a lot of businesses in the hospitality sector, uh, restaurants, catering, the event sector as well. Um, but um, like I said, compared to the rest of the world, I, I'm pretty fortunate. And, uh, that we that we we are where we are here, really. Yeah, Paul, and you're back, back sailing again, are you, Paul? We're back sailing. You're you're allowed to have at least more than two crew on a boat at any time, so that's good. Social, it's hard to social distance when there's eight people on a boat and it's only forty foot long. So <laughs> you know it's, it's coming back to normal. But uh, Brandon, from your from your point of view, as you're saying, we're, Australia's and I agree with you, very compliant. We're told to do things and we get on with it. Um, the, the, the culture of sort of working from home or a hybrid of the two seems to have been adopted really well. And we're now starting to get individuals that when we're talking to them about, um, you know, job opportunities, they're, they're looking at the sort of the balance now of, well, am I going to be in the office all the time? Am I going to be at home or is it going to be a hybrid of the two? What's your sort of take on companies and, and consultancies, how they're coping with that sort of working from home? Because I know that it, doesn't really fit comfortably with all disciplines and, and all industries. But what's your sort of take on it from a wider view of this sort of working from home culture now we're all living in? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Paul. I, I think that we're going to see um, a lot of companies that obviously, you know, there's, there's, there's certain businesses that require you to physically be there to perform a role or a function. But a lot of the service-based industries um, just – 
you know, just don't require you to, to do your nine to five um, office job anymore. And um, so I, I think we're just at the start of seeing how this is all going to pan out. Uh, from what I'm seeing, and particularly the, um, the the design businesses, the design consultancies, the industrial designers, um, it, 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 we've got technology now that just that was always probably there. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't leveraged to the extent that it has been. You know, here we are having a conversation through Zoom. I guess uh, I bet you a million bucks pre-COVID, we never would have actually have utilised a, a piece of technology like this to connect and, and have a conversation. And here we are doing it. it it's it's just very overnight. It's become the norm. Mm. Um, I sit on a, a board of a, a tech company here in Australia called Space Talk, and we've actually all through COVID we designed and developed. Um, uh, another range of a product with a company in the UK uh, called Tangerine. You probably know really, really well. Yeah. And it was you know, it was all done through my office downstairs in our house. Um, everybody came together through Zoom once a week and we went through the design process and we, we ended up designing this fantastic product. And it, it didn't really matter whether there were a group of people in an office or a group of people sitting in their own, in their own houses uh, leveraging this technology. So... Um, Again, it's you know it's as I said it's, it's early days, but a, a lot of the, the the people I've spoken to they've almost ran surveys with their team, saying you know what 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 what's sort of an out an ideal outcome for you? Do you want to go back to the normal office kind of environment? Um, do you want to work from home or is it a hybrid? And I think the hybrid's probably going to be something that you know we still need that that face-to-face interaction, that social interaction. We still need to bump into people. We still need to meet with clients face-to-face. So I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think it's just going to be a, a really careful mix of the two. Yeah. yeah. So, so with that hybrid then, um, a big part of that is going to be employing those that can live and work in Australia and not necessarily, whereas you think about digital design, where it's such a global kind of viewpoint, you can literally have someone that's on the Cayman Islands or by the beach and someone else in London, and they can kind of work in partnership with one another. But with Australia, they're still going to have to be, if they're from the UK or Europe, they're going to have to get on a plane to to come over there. But the borders are shut at the minute, Paul. How's that been for you over the last we talk about this quite yeah, often and you might be able to give a rundown of what that's been like and frustrations and observations. Sure. Yeah. It's been challenging and, and a lot of clients are very interested in returning Australians who are looking for work and we've had some success and we've, some, we've secured some people. So what they've done is they've employed them. They're working as part of a team, as Brandon says, Skype, Zoom, all these tools they can use, but they're just, they're working remotely and they're the most furthest remote person of the team. And they're based in the UK. Um, They're working full time for Australian companies. And now they're just waiting until they can get a flight. And that seems to be a problem getting flights with the restrictions of how many flights into Australia. And it might be another three months, four months before these people get on a flight and actually come back to Australia and see the whites of their eyes of their colleagues and, and walk into the studio. But it, it seems to work. And as Brandon said, I think it's I think it's going to be a hybrid. I don't think they want to do it forever. But if they can see that they can secure the talent that helps them on a project and they're on their way back to Australia, I think that's a good halfway house. And so, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it seems to be working well. Yeah. And there's lots of companies advertising, isn't there, at the minute? I seem to see it pop up my legs all the time. It seems to be, you said the economy is up 3%. 
from an, from a design standpoint, there's definitely a lot of activity, isn't there? Um, Look, I, I'm seeing that. I don't know if yeah. you are as well, but it seems, um, you know, just through one medium through LinkedIn, I'm constantly seeing posts of people, we're hiring, we're hiring, and it's you know, a lot of consultancies uh, across all the different disciplines, whether it be digital comms, um, service strategy, um, product designers, that, and that's a really positive sign. You know, it mm. means they're growing, it means they're doing business. Um, so more of that. Yeah, good stuff. And Paul, is, is that, you must be, yeah. you're in the front line I, of it. So. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, talking, to, I'm talking to clients now um, almost on a daily basis. And before it was, um, you know, pretty much we're interested in these people. If you, if, you see, if you see talent coming through, please share them with us. Now it's almost on a daily report. Have you found anybody? You know, here's a name. Can we network? So, yeah, the activity levels certainly picking up which is which is great i think australia's got a real appetite for innovation and there's some really exciting startups and uh, i was talking to a, a client in san francisco this morning and they were saying that from from where they are they can see that australia has got this pool of talent of people that are in very um, innovative startup organizations they just see that australia seems to have this really good startup mentality which i thought was great and this is a company in san francisco Saying, look, we'd, we'd like to employ people remotely. Can you can you have a look around? So, as Brandon says, I think there's a there's a, a really good a vibe in Australia at the moment, and I think that's just sending ripples out a, a, around the globe, really. Yeah, I'm just interested to see with the with that kind of lockdown strategy of kind of locking down early and there's no cases domestically, which is fantastic. Is that when you're looking at hiring and the time pressures? I mean, even on a global market, but it does take quite a long time to hire, doesn't it? You know, it's not a quick fix, but if you, if you're, if you're only kind of allowed to recruit domestically and there's a lot of time pressures that are coming with hiring, you know, you've won a boatload of work and you need to deliver on that work or, you know, someone's left and you've got to, you know, you've got to hit a deadline or whatever. If it's going to take probably a lot longer because you're now fishing in a much smaller pond, you wonder if like, short, medium, and even, well, more medium to long-term, how viable that is, you know, because there are going to come a point where it's like we need those borders to open up. Otherwise, it's all well and good saying we've got 50 jobs here, but if you can't find the 50 people to do it, mm. it it's a redundant job, isn't it, at the end of the day? And that's kind of this kind of balancing act that I suppose all countries are in now. It's where, okay, we can get the virus down, but we now need to think about the economy and also how can we balance the two. And I suppose that's kind of Australia, a great example of that when it's done so well with kind of limiting the virus, but also it's how do we manage all the other things uh, that, that come with that? And I suppose that that's kind of where, where you guys are. It's the long tail that they're talking yeah. about, you know, and I think uh, you're spot on, but I think that's going to be, that impact will, will, will wash across all the different countries as well, mm. you know, um, people in the UK wanting to hire people internationally as well. It's just, I think we, you know, the way out of this is 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 getting vaccinated and and working towards a point where we can actually open up our borders again. Um, mm. And life hopefully goes back to to some form of normality. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Well, um, as I say, we're, that's the non-design stuff out of the way. So you know, if you are uh, if you're interested in going to Australia at the minute, it's far more normal than maybe what it is over here but we are doing a, yeah. an incredible job with the with the vaccines at the minute so i certainly can't i certainly can't um complain um brandon you're one of the kind of 
driving forces behind Good Design Australia, um, which is um, kind of internationally recognised, isn't it, in, in terms of from a, an award standpoint. Um, is that something you've been involved in since the early days? Is that something you've been a part of as it's kind of progressed? What's Give us a bit of a rundown of Good Design Australia and uh, and what that kind of involves and entails. Yeah, so um, this year is 25 years for me, um, um, bashing away at that, and uh, it doesn't feel like it. It sort of feels like it's, it's mm. kind of got so quickly. Um, so I was I was extremely lucky, I guess. Um, I graduated from uh, University of Newcastle with uh, an industrial design degree and uh, I ended up getting a job at Standards Australia. Uh, standards Australia is our sort of national standards body that developed industry standards and, and they were at the time, so this is 1996, 1997, um, responsible for managing what was then called the Australian Design Awards. Um, they actually inherited that from the federal government back in 1991. And prior to that, if you zoom all the way back down to 1958, it was actually the body originally was set up as the Industrial Design Council of Australia. Um, so we, we briefly spoke before the call um, and there's just this rich history behind that organisation. It was actually set up based on the UK Design Council um, back in the early sort of 50s and, and 1940s and that was, as you would know, um, set up uh, really through Winston Churchill after the, the war as a way to sort of rebuild um, Great Britain at the time and uh, Australia being part of the Commonwealth, we sort of, whatever UK, UK did, we did. So we adopted this idea of establishing a, a, a design council. The Industrial Design Council later became the Australian Design Council, um, which then was um, in the government until it changed hands so many different times and it got handed across to standards. So... Um, I joined in, in 1996, um, fresh graduate out of university, not really sure what the hell I wanted to do with uh, with my life and um, my industrial design degree tucked under my arm and uh, uh, within the first couple of months, I just went, wow, there's just so much history here from a design standpoint, but also from a cultural standpoint. You know, it was just this, this incredible amount of material that sort of, I, to me, sort of painted a picture about what this country is, um, you know, the, the projects, the products that were designed and developed and manufactured. Um, and, and you know, I was quickly became really passionate about it and thought, do I pursue a, a traditional industrial design degree and go and get a job in a consultancy somewhere? Or do I sort of take this other road and, and, and try and look at a, a creating, a, I guess, um, a career out of promoting design and, and championing mm-hmm. Um, you know, the value of design and, and being an advocate for design. So um, I stuck around and one thing led to another and, um, you know, 15 years later and I was still there and we, we, we made some pretty significant changes to, to the awards program um, in 2008, which is really the, the 50-year anniversary of the awards. We opened it up internationally, so it became known as the Australian International Design Awards. That was a really big step. Uh, for the design sector here in Australia, because what we were saying is that, you know, to win and to really benchmark the design sector here, we we can't sort of go on comparing Australian design with Australian design. We really need to sort of benchmark it against what's happening internationally. Mm. Um, and um, sort of fast forward back to, I guess, 2010, um, this is roundabout when the GFC hits and standards sort of said, right, we really need to look at 
you know, what our core business is. And design was always this oddball that really didn't fit within standards. They were all about conformity and, um, and, and, and quality assurance and standards development. And then there was this design promotion bit that they, they kind of thought, well, do we either kind of get rid of it and figure out a way that, that we can, you know, let it let it live, let it let it sort of live its own life, and um, that's when I worked with um, a lot of people within the, within the design sector to establish Good Design Australia as a as a separate entity. Um, so that was 2010. We we essentially absorbed um, the what was known as the Australian Design Awards, the Australian Design Council. Everything got sort of moved across, um, and uh, that's been running ever since. So. I think the the great thing about that is that the organisation's been really agile. Uh, we've been able to sort of really expand the the categories within the Good Design Awards, which is mm. what what are known as the Australian Good Design Awards, um, rather than it being based on product design and industrial design. We now have categories for architectural design, service design, design strategy, digital design, communication design, engineering design, through to fashion. Uh, social impact. Um, so it's really we've we've you know we've worked. I think the, the the really beautiful thing is that the design community here in Australia is is quite small, mm. um, quite tight, and 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 everyone's really um, uh, I guess works together with that end goal in 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 place to so say how do we actually create something really really um, big and I guess respected internationally. That was always the the one driving factor as well. So. Um, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, the, the main thing that keeps me busy is is running the awards program. It's a it's sort of grown now from being a um, a national program to an international program with all these different categories and, and making sure that we uphold the the integrity of the program, the integrity of that evaluation process, uh, mm. which is always quite challenging. Yeah. So um, 2021, good design. I take it the. Entries are closed for that. I think it was last week or the week before. Yeah, we've just gone through um, our entry process, which has been really interesting. Yeah. So so what's the next stage for you? I'm intrigued. Is it, I take it you've got a judge or there's a a, a, a committee or panel or those that do that. What's, what's just for insight to those that perhaps look at awards and do I enter or whatever, what's the evaluation process now for you guys yeah. as a collective to say, that is a winner, and that is a that's not that that's not going to win this year. What's the what's this yeah. next period of time like for you guys? So I'll, I mean, I'll explain I'll explain the process um, pre COVID. Um, okay. Pre COVID, when the world was normal, we, we it's something that we and I think I think having the body um, sort of sit within standards really gave us that rigor and and made sure that we had to take that evaluation process super seriously. Um, no disrespect to any of the other award programs out there in the world, and there are thousands of them. You know, a lot of them are, um, I call it, you know, pretty picture. They have a look at a pretty picture online and go, wow, that's great design. And, and as you yeah. know, you, you really have to pick up the product and you have to pull it apart. And, you, and particularly with product design, you, you've got to get in there and you've, you've got to experience the product. You've got to turn it on. If it's a coffee machine. You've got to make coffee. And if it's mine, you've got to actually iron clothes. Yeah. So we, we've taken a great amount of pride in in that being the mainstay of our awards program. So um, pre-COVID, um, we hire out essentially an aircraft hangar type uh, warehouse. Um, we have all these projects um, shipped in. 
uh, a lot of the international stuff basically gets gets shipped in as well. And we spend an entire week uh, with a jury of Australian and international um, judges. We fly in from different parts of the world uh, across all those different disciplines and lock ourselves up in this uh, in this big playground for design. It's good fun. Um, and at the end of the week, we we really decide which projects end up receiving the, the, the top accolades. Mm. Um, the, the question around judging, um, Brad, is, is something that I find extremely fascinating. How do you judge good design? You mm. know, and um, it's it's uh, it was a large part of my PhD thesis as well. Is how do you actually create a, an evaluation system? Uh, that looks at design and, and tries to establish what, what's good and what isn't. And so we put an enormous amount of work into designing the criteria uh, that, that is applied uh, to our awards program. And we've got a, an overarching criteria that really is, is quite simple in its, in its design. It just asks the basic question, is this good design? Um, and believe it or not, a lot of projects just fall by the wayside. You know, they mm. just don't even pass that first hurdle. Uh, and it's really interesting to see when you ask the judges just to ask that one question, is this good design? And what does that actually mean? Is it functional? Is it actually serving a purpose? Um, is it solving a problem? Has <laughs> um, it been well designed in, the term, in terms of its material, in terms of its manufacture? All those basic fundamental things that we call good design. And so a lot of projects just basically fail. And then we ask the second question, which is, is it innovative? Um, how innovative is this project? Um, is it, is it, if there are any world first features, uh, have they, have they done anything from a design perspective that's truly a game changer? Mm. Um, and that's sort of almost the, the, the pointier end of the, of the, of the pyramid, if you like. And those are the projects that we sort of really start to interrogate going, right, you know, there's that, these guys have really done something here that's going to be a game changer. And then the third criteria is, is impact. And we look at impact as in under three kind of sections going commercial impact. Um, does this project, as a result of going through a professional design process, uh, is it actually going to create money? Is, is, is it going to create a commercial return for the business? So that investment that's been made in design is actually going to create a return on that, on that design investment. We look at societal impact. Is it actually going to make a difference to our quality of life? And then we look at environmental impact as well. So impact are the ones, I guess, at the very, very pointy end of the, the pyramid and the ones that, you know, I guess end up receiving the top accolades. And then for each of the criteria and for each of the, the categories, we have very specific criteria as well that we even drill deeper in. So it's a pretty complex um, process and and it's something as i said we we take very very seriously it's uh, we don't sort of skirt over it and go oh look you know it's going to look nice in a design magazine yeah. uh we generally try and dig deep and, and find out what are these guys you know what are these guys done that that's that that's worthy of, of award recognition yeah and, how, and how's that going to change post-covid is there going to be a lot more packages arriving at the front door or what's the yeah, so last year obviously like every other business around the world we kind of like freaked out as soon as we heard the word pandemic we went well <laughs> we certainly can't fly in people from all over the world and we certainly can't have this this elaborate judging process so we had to conduct everything online and we leveraged technology like zoom and we brought all our judges together and we we uh, luckily we had um, you know we had a, a, a back end um, website that had all the, the the ability to to judge online. Uh, this year we're going to go for a hybrid event where we're still going to utilise an online judging process, but we're actually going to have we're going to break it up into two stages. So 
um, projects that then make it through to the second stage. We're going to get hold of them and, you know, where possible, bring our judges together as well. Obviously, we can't fly international judges in here again until the borders open up. But, uh, again, just trying as hard as we possibly can to, to take the, the process really seriously and, uh, and interrogate the projects that come through. Yeah. Did you ever look at, like, um, augmented reality or something like that to, to, as part of that ju- judging process? Or is that, oh, that might be... A very naive question, I don't know, but in terms of you're still interrogating, but strapping yourselves in online and, and oh well, I haven't quite, I haven't quite, th- I haven't quite thought of that. That's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. We'll have to. <laughs> I can imagine all our judges walking around. Yeah. With <laughs> this episode is brought to you and sponsored by our partners at Inio Solutions. Inio Solutions are a business transformation provider and platinum reseller of Keyshot and PTC. As part of our partnership, they are kindly providing a £100 voucher to those that sign up to our Design Truth Patreon. The relevant links will be in the description. Keep an eye out over the next couple of episodes for an announcement of Keyshot World. But for now, let's get back to the podcast. So you've kind of touched on it a bit. Is that for you the main benefit of the award then? Whereas... I've, I've heard some quite horror stories about awards over the last couple of months of where I, I don't need to name specific ones. I think everyone kind of knows which ones they are, but the the evaluating practice of it doesn't seem that intrusive. And it almost feels like if you pay to enter, you're probably going to, you're probably going to get the, the certificate at the end of it. But is that different with good design where it's a case of, I'd imagine, I mean, do you have to pay to enter to the awards? Is there, what, what's the, what's that kind of process like? Yeah, and look, it's you know, I'm, unfortunately, there's there's a bit of a bad name out there for a lot of award programs that are extremely commercial. It's just mm. how they operate, um, and a lot of them, you know, it's uh, again, no disrespect, they've, they're a business. They've got to operate like any other business as well. We do charge a fee. It's it's a nominal registration fee, um, and if a project does go through and receives an award, we we also offer them a, a winner's fee. Um, and that's an option. They can choose not to take that up and they can choose to take it up. And that's, I guess, just passing the costs on to that company. So if there's things such as trophies that need to be manufactured, and mm. um, which I'd love to talk about because our trophies are quite special. We've put an enormous amount of work into actually designing and developing and manufacturing those from recycled waste um, right through to, um, you know, developing press releases and, and all the, I guess, promotional activities that go with that. But um yeah, it, it's a tough one because at the end of the day, we're we're, we're organisations and businesses that need to need to operate and, and stay sustainable as well. I, I think the challenge for some of the bigger organisations, the bigger award programs, is that conundrum between you know running it as a fully fledged business and actually, on the other hand, running it as a not for profit that's actually there to promote the value of design. And um, we don't get we get zero government funding. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so we've really got to make sure that, that we maintain that careful balance between not being, you know, exceptionally commercial and be that, being there as, a, as an industry body to promote uh, the value of design as well. So it, it is tricky, I won't lie to you. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's one thing that I take extremely seriously is, is the integrity of our award program. And that, that to me starts with the calibre of the judges that we attract, um, making sure that we are extremely uh, transparent with our judging process, our criteria, um, and, and and making sure that we communicate that as as widely as possible. 
Um, and that's, you know, that, that to me is the best you can do. I, um, I, the last time I was uh, able to come and have a look at the, the show, I think it was a, 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 a pre-judging show. And it was, I think, 2019 here in, in Sydney up at the, uh, the, the cricket ground. And it, I just got a feeling from the people that were there who were um, in the, in the uh, competition and their, their work was being shown. There's a real pride in that they had got this far, regardless of whether they won. And it was a good, uh, it was a good feeling that they were all um, openly discussing their designs and they were very passionate about what they'd done. And it was very prestigious that they were there. I just got a feel that there was a real buzz and a pride from some people that were small companies that had just uh, been uh, been spotted and, and uh, seen the, t- the, the, the design there. So, yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot of prestige prestige that goes with it and I think there's a lot of pride with people that just say look I was I was in the competition in 2019 didn't win but I was I was there and I, and I think that goes a long way no I, I look I totally agree and I think that um what I love about what you've just said is that I see that every year you know because we've opened it up internationally now you've you've got some really big companies big brands multinational brands that are entering then you've got these startups and we spoke earlier on about, you know, just the, the, the environment here in Australia is just so ripe for startups. There's a lot of startups with small businesses that are entering a product and when they win, they quite proudly go out to the media and we help them as part of our promotion is to make sure that we, we talk about um, the, 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 the impact of winning an award beyond just the design community. We try and get into mainstream media try and get into the front page of the City Morning Herald. We, we, we talk to the news stations, the TV stations. So it's that whole promotion activity. And you see these smaller businesses, as you said, Paul, that just just see it as such a kickstart to their business, to their product, to try and get it onto the market. Um, and, and that to me is, is something I'm, I'm, I just love to see because there's, you know, three, four, five years later, these, these small businesses, these startups turn into bigger businesses. Oh, and yeah. they go all the way back and they go, wow, you know, we'll, we'll never forget that opportunity we had when we got up on stage and we received an award and we got all this, you know, promotion and profile and that was a really good kickstart to their, to their, to their business. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'm just, um, just grabbing it here, but, you know, I've, um, I've, I've, still got, oh, I've still got copies of it here and uh, I, I go through it and I look at the companies that are in there and I look at what they're doing now and you, you're quite right, you know, from, 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 from small starts to, 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 to bigger growth, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. And like I say, a lot of prestige that goes with it. To those, to those that are listening on Spotify and Apple, that was some shameless product placement from Paul just so. <laughs> <laughs> and to those that are watching on YouTube, it will make more sense. But yeah, to those that are listening, Paul just wangled the product right in front, right in front of our eyes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Brandon will give you $5 for that at the end of it. But uh, <laughs> to, to, with, with, with that, kind of job that you do Brandon I'd imagine one of the massive benefits of it is that you're kind of fully integrated into design in Australia and if you would have taken a more traditional route i.e just landed a job at an agency or whatnot maybe you wouldn't have got this wide level of exposure is that something you would say to I don't know maybe graduates or even more experienced designers that are thinking about a bit of a career change or do something different that actually you don't have to just go through the traditional route to still, you know, have a successful career in design and, and, and still having that passion and, and still being involved in the industry. You, know, you don't have to be the one necessarily doing the, the, the nuts and bolts of the job to, 
to still be a part of that wider kind of community? Is it something you just fell into? I'm just quite intrigued because that's something that pops up, you know, every now and again is someone that's kind of doesn't necessarily want to do the the hands-on stuff anymore, for example, wants to move away or thinks about what, where can I take this degree and can I do something else? But well, look, that- it's a really good question. Yeah. I, I, I talk to university students a lot and I, you know, I go around to the various universities here and, and give lectures and stuff. And I tend to say the same thing that I, I, I you know, I see that the, the design degree that I've got um, has taught me something that is so completely invaluable. I, I, I use it every single day in the way that I think, in the way that I see the world. Um, I apply the design process to pretty much everything that I do. And what I try and impart on, on students is to say, you know, there are only so many jobs that you can get as a, as a traditional industrial designer who's going to go out there and design a manufactured product don't 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 box yourself into that. Um, you've been given this 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 degree, and use it in a very broad sense. Where you you know think of yourself going to work in a bank, and applying that design thinking process to how you're going to completely redesign a service offering within a bank. Um, you may end up working in a coffee shop, and bring that design um, lens to how you're going to redesign that that coffee shop business walk into that business uh, as a design graduate and say, actually, you've got this whole business back to front. Um, you know, your, your cash register's in the wrong place. Um, your The interior design's completely wrong. All your furniture's, you know, horrible. Um, your, your, your customers are queuing up outside, whereas they should be queuing inside and all your signage should be pointed at them. All those things that designers just notice. So for me, it's this beautiful, incredibly valuable skill that, you get as a designer and, and, and what I try and tell students, you, you go out into the world and you may not get your ideal industrial design job designing beautiful fancy cars or fantastic consumer electronic products. Um, that doesn't matter. Um, you've been given the skill and, and if you think broadly enough, you're going to get a job in a service industry, um, you know, designing businesses, designing strategy, designing services, designing experience. And, um, and I've, I've, that's the way I've sort of seen it um, in my own career. I've just, um, every single thing I do, I look at through that design lens um, and I've redesigned and redesigned and redesigned our awards program. I've redesigned the business model and I continually do that. And uh, it's now opened up a whole world of other opportunities for me where I'm sitting on different boards and I bring that exact same mindset to, to, to that, uh, you know, to those sorts of problems as well. So I think it's one of the most valuable skill sets that anyone can have in the 21st century. I mean, I, I really do genuinely believe that. And particularly if you see, you know, the way that the world is going um, and our, our next generation or our, our younger generation going into the world where half the jobs haven't even yet been created, you know, mm-hmm. having that creative design mindset is going to be absolutely essential um, so that's you know, that's kind of how I've, I've navigated through and uh, I, I wouldn't change it for a, a, you know a billion bucks there's no way in the world I'd want to do anything else in the world yeah, good stuff. <laughs> um, Paul did you have any questions at all or on that well, you know, on, on the sort of the, the you're filling both camps with academia and, and industry uh, Brendan how are you how are you finding the university syllabus and the, the, the sort of the the, the the agile ability for modules to be sort of 
um, tweaked to actually um, come in line with what industry needs as industry develops at such a fast pace? Do you find that the that, that there's the ability to, to to move and be agile enough so that when graduates leave university, they're pretty much or very close to what's happening in industry that year at that time? I know it's a ever-changing uh, shape, but how do you feel about the, the sort of university syllabuses? And, and you're almost in a very good position to, to sort of steer and uh, direct those. Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, um, I, I think we're, if I had to be honest and brutally honest, I think university design education has got a long way to go. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but it's like steering a, a really, really big ship. You know, they, they're still teaching traditional industrial design and with the mindset that these graduates are going to go into an industry and go work as industrial designers designing products that come off a manufacturing line. Yeah. And that's great. That's, that's, we need that. But we also need design thinkers that think broadly. And what I'm seeing time and time again is that there's, there's a limited amount of jobs for designers that are in that traditional design space, but there's a ton of demand for designers that think strategically, that, 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 that sort of zoom out a bit. You go, right, how can I go into um, a service design job or how can I um, go and, and, and apply my skills at a strategic level to, to, to redesign business models? Um, that to me is is where where the opportunities are really going to come from, and I, I just don't think that the universities are there yet. They're still sort of lagging behind in terms of catching up. Um, another big area that we haven't really even spoken about is is social social innovation. So um, the, the sort of social impact side of design and, and um, you know NGOs looking at applying design and design thinking in that space is again that's booming, but there's not enough graduates that are actually being taught about how to leverage their design thinking skills and apply to that space. So, um, you know, and, and, and that said, I think that a lot of universities are now actually looking at what they're seeing what's happening. They know that they need to change. They know that they need to refine their curriculum. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It's just going to take some time to kind of catch up. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's unique, you know, both Brad and I, when I was, when I was in the UK, and Brad's been doing it more recently, been involved in BIDA, British Industrial Design Association. And I think there was always that sort of almost creative friction between what industry needed and what the UK universities were able to do. And your analogy of a you know a battleship moving slowly, I think is 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 absolutely spot on. And Brad, is, is that your sort of recent experience? Because you've been doing this very recently within the last year oh, i've i've been going up and down one day i'm in bangor next day i'm in brighton you know thanks to things like zoom i mean i'd never i'd never be able to get the expenses through you know i'm going up and down all the time so i think i'm talking to edinburgh napier this evening and um i think my kind of view on it is a bit controversial but sometimes i just i i think that there's too many students that kind of go through a system and I kind of look at it and wonder how on earth they're going to get a job at the end of it. But I think that's maybe a chat for another day. I think as they just like talk about awards, universities are also businesses as much as anything else. And maybe that's it, you know, could be a good thing or a bad thing, but sometimes I just think too many go through the system and they're not necessarily prepared to, you know, and that's why I'm hoping that bringing people on that aren't necessarily doing the traditional industrial design job is they can kind of listen to this and go actually you know what maybe i can take this kind of skill set that i'm 
learning here and maybe I might not get that design job at, you know, insert a prestigious name here, but I can take that elsewhere. And I think that sometimes is probably one of the big faults of design education is that it always seems to be that if you don't get that job in that prestigious place, then you've kind of failed really. But I think there's a lot more avenues where you can kind of take that degree. We was talking to someone the other day that worked for a um, software company that um, not software company, like a um, reselling company. And they had one of their sales staff was a designer, you know, and it takes that kind of core skill and, and sales design or so it's just those are different kind of areas you can take that degree in. I don't know if I've actually answered your question there, Paul, but. Um, Brad, if I can jump in, I, yeah. I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, again, um, I don't know what, what it's like in the UK, but the university sector here in Australia has taken a big hit because of COVID. Yeah. So it's only going to get tougher. They, they, they need to tighten up their business models as well. And what I'm seeing, what, what I've been arguing for is that, you know, industrial design should almost be on par with architecture. Mm. And here in Australia, it's, you know, it's a five-year degree, sort of three years plus two years. And a lot of these, a lot of the design courses here are actually going backwards to three like, no, <laughs> you just can't. You can't squash in a, a proper design degree with all that, all those skills, into a three-year degree. Um, and then, I guess, coming back to what you were saying as well, like for me, the prime objective of going through and getting a university degree is that you end up getting a job. job. <laughs> point, you know? So, so you know, if you if you've got this nice little shiny piece of paper and you, you're not actually employable, what's the use? You you end up with a, with a massive student debt. Yeah. And you've got something that's completely worthless. So, um, you know, coming back to what I was saying around expanding that view of design, um, a lot of the consulting firms here, Deloitte, Accenture, KPMG, even the Australian Tax Office, you know, um, is employing designers, yeah. but not designing toothbrushes and, and kettles and, and, and fridges. They're actually designing systems and processes um, and services and experiences. That That to me is where our university sector should really catch up and, and how do they modify uh, what they are teaching to make sure that they are graduating students with those skills that can go out and be employed because there's that that demand is only going to go up. Yeah, um, I, I keep on arguing. Um, I don't know what it is in the UK, but our, our service sector here in Australia is is something like 70-odd, um, 75% of our GDP is our service sector. And if you think of you know, what, what impact designers can have within the service space, that's where the demand's going to come from. So we should all be focusing on how do we meet that demand that's going to come in the next five, ten years for, for designers. And if there's a shortfall, that to me, you know, rests on the shoulders of, of our design education system. Yeah. Yeah. I read I read a little earlier, just in research, that uh, Australian uh, design contributes to something like sixty seven billion dollars to the Australian economy. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And as you said, that, that can be in all areas of, of Australian design. You know, where, where is that fitting? But, yeah, contributes $67 billion to the Australian economy. That's a big – thank you very much. That's good. <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's a study that was conducted by IP Australia quite recently. And what an amazing figure, right? So straight away we now have a, a, a value of yeah. the design sector um, in Australia at 67 $67.5 billion, so it's bigger than the construction sector. Uh, isn't that fantastic? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of like, when I saw that, I went, hallelujah, you know, we finally have this 
this figure that we can point to. Um, and, and, and for me, how do we amplify that? How do we quadruple that figure? And how do we really grow our sector here and, and, and turn it into a hundred billion dollar, uh, yeah. you know, um, sector? I, I, so, yeah, I, I heard something the other day. I don't know, you may have more information than Brandon. That's that the government have got this incentive for encouraging investment for innovation at the patent box. And I think it's maybe geared towards the biotech and medical tech uh, innovation. But there's putting something like just over $200 million worth of investment into this to encourage startups and design and have this sort of patent box. So you could almost ring fence the patent so it, it didn't go out of Australia and that technology stayed in Australia. I don't know if you've you heard it was just a snippet I heard on uh, ScoMo was saying something on the TV the other day. Yeah, um, really, really interesting. And I, I think it's more my understanding of it, Paul, is that um, if you if you register a patent um, under this patent, what they call a patent box, I think they've actually um, taken the lead from some other countries around the world. Yeah. You, you basically, it's, it's, it's some sort of a tax credit. So uh, a lot of your income that you would derive from that piece of R&D that you've then gone patented um, will be treated differently in terms of, of how it's taxed. So it's a real incentive for small businesses and startups uh, with a with a, you know an idea with a piece of technology to go and wrap a patent around it, and then and then extract the uh, the taxation benefits from that. So um, again, I think you know there's there's a lot there's a hell of a lot happening at the moment. Um, one of the things that the government announced during COVID was a, a modern manufacturing fund. This is a 1.3 billion dollar fund to look at six priority areas um, across Australian manufacturing and saying how do we actually um, turn companies in those sectors that have what they call a comparative advantage and, call, and turn them into a competitive advantage. So if you look at uh, the space sector, um, uh, medical and scientific equipment, um, uh, clean energy, uh, food and agri, these are all these. So what they've done is identify six sectors across the Australian industry and said, how do we actually amplify and, and really make these sectors incredibly competitive we know we're good at things in that space how do we how do we become great and that's where you know we've been trying to sort of get in there and 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 talk about design being an absolutely critical part if we are talking about businesses becoming internationally competitive in those sectors design's got to be front and center so and hopefully government starts to to take note that design is beyond just this designing a nice shiny object it's actually a real strategic tool to, yeah. to help these businesses and, you know, and when you give that figure of 60 something billion you've now got a tangible value of look you know whereas before it's quite subjective isn't it as a as an industry but now you can say well look at the the roi you're going to get you know if you oh it's it's, it's an industry you know and I, I don't know how many times i've pretty much met with with most of our successive prime ministers here and and we, we talk about the design industry and look are you really an industry well, well now we are you know because we can point to that and where um you know it's uh, it's as i said it's, it's bigger than the construction sector on par with it so that's that's just fantastic to be able to point to that and i think it'll it'll, it'll take us a long way in terms of the government taking design seriously that it is actually a sector and it contributes to uh, to our gdp yeah. And do you do you think, Brandon, it's it's kind of like a perfect storm that the 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 COVID situation we the world has found itself in over the last year and a half, and all of a sudden the the the, the focus of how much we rely on overseas manufacturing 
And there seems to be an awful lot of talk now of, of trying to reshore and bring that manufacturing back to Australia. And I'm dealing with half a dozen clients that are very passionate about designing Australian materials and manufacturing here in Australia. And I don't know, I think it's just for some companies, it's just woken them up that their supply chain and having to rely on overseas might they're never gonna they're never gonna get rid of it. It's gonna have to be maybe just balancing it a little bit more that more is more is relied on here in in Australia. So I don't know whether that sort of reshoring focus and as we we're saying the uh, design contributing to to the economy is is just gonna give that a little bit more emphasis and a little bit more momentum to get things changed. Yeah, look, I, I probably wouldn't describe it as a perfect storm. Um, there's nothing perfect about a pandemic, but it, it certainly, you know, as you said, I think it got it got a lot of Australian businesses, um, and I think generally the Australian public quite it sort of gave us a bit of a wake up call, going, you know, if, yeah. if the whole world didn't sort of close close in on itself and every country had to sort of be dependent, we're very vulnerable. We're, we're quite exposed, um, uh, as you mentioned, you know, all of almost overnight, we thought, wow, we're, we're so reliant on all these international supply chains that if, you know, if, if everything had to kind of close off completely, we wouldn't be able to, uh, to, to, to design our own personal protection equipment and um, all those basic fundamental things that sort of, you know, keep us, keep us as a country. So I think it's been, it's been a good wake-up call. I think there's been a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturing companies that have sort of taken that as an opportunity to go... How do we how do we um, evolve our business uh, to, towards you know being more competitive in, in in manufacturing? I think that the government has certainly woken up, going, "Wow, well, we we used to have a thriving manufacturing sector here. Um, over the years, it's sort of slowly declined, um, but I think now it's you're kind of seeing so much activity um, around manufacturing. There's a lot of um, desire for Australian made within within consumers. You've probably seen this. We had an Australian yeah, made a week, yeah. couple of weeks ago. It was um and, and if you had that conversation ten years ago, it was like, oh yeah, you know, Australian made. Um it, it didn't really have a, a lot of the momentum that it has now. So I think it's it's a hopefully it's a good thing. We we can we can leverage our way out of this and say what do we what do we need to do to come out of it out of the other end. Um, with with better manufacturers, um, better design led manufacturers as well. Uh, a lot of a lot of the manufacturers have, I guess, understood that design is going to be this critical thing that's going to allow them to to be smarter at what they do. Um, I don't think that we. And it's a conversation we've had many times over. Is that Australia's got to be very clear about what it can manufacture and where we are competitive. When we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to compete with China if we're talking of, you know, producing a widget where we, you know, we're, we're the volumes of, of 100 million units or something. But we're really, really good at high-end manufacture, smart manufacturing, uh, incorporating robotics, um, all of those things that are, you know, a high-end value product with a high technology component. And if you look at companies like Cochlear um, who develop, you know, hearing aids, world-class, um, ResMed, um, these are companies that you know manufacture their products here, um, yeah. but it's low volume, high technology content, um, and and that's where I think Australia has is going to have a competitive advantage. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, look, just so you know, before before the end of every episode, we like to ask the same question, but I think three of the last or two of the last four 
have ducked the question. So I'll ask it to you, but if you don't have an answer, it's absolutely it's absolutely fine. It's um and I might even ask it right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And I'll even ask it to you as well, Paul. But the question no is what is the strangest brief you've ever seen? Now you probably see quite a few. <laughs> you don't have to mention specific companies or specific people, but I didn't know if there's any particular maybe award submissions in the past you've looked at and gone, this oh. is just strange. <laughs> or, so, is there, or is there a boatload? <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to answer this question, bugger it. Um, <laughs> so we've always, at the end of each judging um process you know we we're talking three four days into the judging the judges all get to know each other and we we always end up having this strange conversation of you know what happens if we have a gun being entered into the awards right it's a we and we need to judge this thing as a as an object of design um and look at it purely as as a piece of piece of design Mm. um not really in the context of well it actually shoots someone right (laughs) And we always get into this really interesting conversation of like, you know, how, how strange would that be if you ended up giving an award to a, to a shiny gun? Um, and what message would that send? Believe it or not, and I'm not going to mention any, any company names. One year we had a submission, uh, from a manufacturer of, um, let's say, um, a high-end piece of military equipment that could pretty much tear down a forest. Right. <laughs> um, wow. So it wasn't just it wasn't just a gun. It was like a you know we're talking a serious piece of military equipment, and um, we we had a pretty good chat within within the jury of saying we just respectfully decline to assess this, and it's not the sort of project that we want to promote within our own awards program. It could be an incredible piece of technology. It could be a game changer for what it is, but it's not the sort of thing that we want to promote within our own awards program. And I'll I'll add to that because on the other end of it, we've also had gambling equipment um, that, is, that has been entered and some really, really amazing stuff if you look at it as a piece of design. Mm. But we also then take a step back and go, right, you know, as a body that's really beyond just promoting great design, what are we saying about the design industry? Um, and we, again, we just went back and said respectfully, we, it's not the sort of project that we would want to have entered into our awards program. So not necessarily a brief, but, uh, but, but, but projects that I think I'm quite proud that we, we do, we do have a, a process where we do push back and say, not, you know, not thanks. No, thanks. We don't really want, we don't really want, is it pokies? Is it pokies? That you that's pokies? We don't really want the pokies machine on the on the front cover of the Sydney Herald. And that's, and that's a tough thing for all the designers out there. They're probably shaking their heads. You know, mm. if you if you have a client that comes to you with a uh, with an interesting project like that, how do you say no? And I think you you just have to to make your own call on that. But uh, yeah, hopefully that's answered your question. Yeah, no, you've done a good job, Paul. You must have seen some stuff in the past. Is there anything? That no, kind of- I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on it. I can't okay. think of anything at the moment, but I will for the next time. Yeah. I'll do my research. Yeah, no worries. Well, um, it's been a pleasure having you on, and um, the door is always open if you ever want to to to, to come back. And um, hopefully, uh, to the um, designers from Australia that listen to it, they can finally listen to a voice that they recognise and an accent that they recognise, and they're not. Happy. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Design Truth. Um, we'd love you to get involved. So if you'd ever fancy yourself as a bit of a guest um, on the podcast, then do drop us an email at hello at designtruth.co.uk 
also, if you get a chance, have a quick look at our website at the minute because we put loads of new stuff on there and uh, there's a map on there and stuff. And uh, take a look around. Love to know what you kind of make of it all. Um, stay safe as always, and um, I'm sure we'll uh, I'm sure we'll see you next time. <laughs>